Welcome back uh, here on this third Sunday in Lent. Welcome everyone watching again on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, we're continuing our sermon walk, our sermon series, where we're going through the passion story, the arrest and trial of Jesus in the Gospel of John. We're just looking at John's version. Uh, when I was a kid, I don't know if you saw those uh, passion story movies. There was a mini-series I remember watching. I think they called it like the greatest story ever told. I think they still occasionally play it. You know, it's kind of a reenactment, and uh, I don't know. I haven't seen it for a while uh, to, to assess how realistic I think it might or might not have been. But of all the parts of the story, it's interesting what sticks in your mind. The part that stuck for me was, the, was that scene where, you know, Jesus and Barabbas are up there on, on Pilate's balcony, and the crowd is out there, and they're all chanting, and it was this loud, hysterical crowd, and all the people, of course, are busy chanting, Barabbas, 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 and there's only two people chanting for Jesus, and it's, I think, Mary Magdalene and his mom, and that was like all the supporters he had left at that point. Everybody else was chanting Barabbas, and I remember watching that, and it really stuck with me because I, I just kept wondering, why, why would they choose Barabbas and not Jesus? You know, my whole life I'd grown up, Jesus was the good guy, and yet Barabbas, it says, was a criminal, uh, a bandit. So if he was a criminal or a bandit, why, why would they want to let him go? You know, it didn't make any sense. What, what is the appeal? Did people suddenly start liking crime, you know, back then? Was, uh, you know, was, it, was it like for felony assault, felony assault? I mean, I've never seen anyone chant that. So uh, what, what was going on? Well... It doesn't make as much sense if you just use that translation where it says bandit. And I know there's not a good word in English for it, but, you know, bandit kind of makes it sound like Barabbas was, you know, Billy the Kid or John Dillinger or something, you know, and he's robbing stagecoaches and hiding out in the desert. And, and, but that really isn't what Barabbas was. He wasn't just a, you know, a guy who mugged for money. Uh, he, he was a political person. He did what he did with political motivations. And his crime was maybe more, maybe more if you'd label him today, he'd be called more like a, a radical or an extremist or a militant. You might call him a freedom fighter if he was on your side. But he was a killer. Uh, and what he did is he killed Romans. And he killed people who colluded with the Romans. And he'd go around. Uh, like Simon Peter and Judas Iscariot, they were in similar groups. And they'd go around and they'd come up to Romans and they'd stab them in the back and run away. Or they'd catch them at night when they weren't looking. And then they'd disappear into the crowd. And what Barabbas was doing is he saw himself as part of a political opposition, fighting the Roman occupation, standing up for Jewish independence and freedom, resisting oppression. He was, he was the champion of the downtrodden and the oppressed. He was probably considered a hero by most of the people in that crowd for what he did. They would not have called him a bandit. They would not have put him in the same category as the guy who rustles cattle. You know, and why? Because Roman occupation was brutal. We know it was brutal. We've, 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 they've got the records. We know the Romans came in. We know their taxes were oppressively high. We know that the Roman soldiers were given pretty much free reign to do whatever they wanted to with the local people. Uh, they could come in and do what they wanted to you or your family. It was punishing. It was humiliating. And the Romans used to do things to try to deliberately rub it into you, too. 
It wasn't just enough to rule, but the soldiers would come by and they would try to do things to grind it in. Uh, for example, they carried heavy packs. Even soldiers today carry heavy packs, right? What is, I think, the uh, U.S. Army pack is like 90 pounds that you have to carry, uh, what they're carrying in Afghanistan, 90 pounds. So they've got these gigantic packs, right? And they're carrying them. Well, the Roman soldiers would decide they were tired of carrying the packs, so they just pick people at random and make them carry them. And, of course, you know, not everyone could carry that heavy pack, and sometimes they deliberately pick people who they knew couldn't quite carry it, and then they'd watch them fall down, and then they'd kick them a little, and ha, ha, come on, and then you'd, they'd watch them get mad, and then they'd fall down, and they'd kick them some more, come on, carry the pack. And then the people would laugh at them, and it was this very degrading thing where they'd watch them go on, or they held this, or otherwise, they'd do all sorts of things. They could just come up and hit you. That was the thing they would do. They'd just come up and slap you, you know, so, sort of challenging you to fight, you know, daring you to fight back. Well, what are you going to do? You're just an ordinary Jewish citizen, and this guy's a soldier. He's got weapons. He's got armor. He's got a big old sword. You know, okay, fine. He hits you. You go to hit back. He pulls out the sword, and then he goes, oh, I was attacked. I couldn't. I had to. And this was the kind of thing that happened all the time. And then, of course, if, if, if you didn't fight back, right, then, yeah, ha, ha, what a wuss. You know, and then they laugh at you some more. So you're kind of in this position of, do I, do, do I fight back or, or be humiliated? And, and this is what they would do. It was degrading. It was dehumanizing. They could even, if they wanted to, stay in your house. They could just move into your house if they wanted to, take whatever they wanted. Like, we have an actual amendment to our Constitution that forbids that uh, because that problem continued even until Revolutionary War times. Um, but Romans, they did that. They'd take anything they wanted in your house. This is what they lived with. So what do you do? What do you do if you're one of the people back then? You know, how do you, how do you fight back? The Romans, they got weapons. They got swords. They have whole armies. You know, fighting them face to face is not going to work. You know, but just taking it is degrading. So one option that some pursued was the assassination route. You know, they'd come up and maybe stab them when they weren't looking. Uh, disappear. The idea was to, to sort of have this random violence that could flare up at any time and, and make the Romans nervous. Maybe they'd have to constantly be looking over their shoulder. Maybe it'd keep them from sleeping at night because they didn't know if someone would light the tent on fire. You know, this kind of sort of uh, attacking at night stuff. And maybe the thought was maybe, just maybe, after enough of it, they'd wear out and decide to back off. Or, you know, if they didn't back off, and they retaliated, at least, you know, you died with your dignity, right? I died fighting. The least you could say is, yeah, I put up a good fight. So, what did Barabbas have to offer that Jesus did as one of these fighters? What did Barabbas have to offer? Jesus came, what was he offering? Teachings, scripture, interpretation, healing, did lots of healing. He cured people, cast out demons. What did he do? He offered love and hope, taught about a resurrection. He taught about God's love for the poor, the weak, the widow, orphan, and alien that the prophets talked about. He even offered love and healing to Romans, to Samaritans, to the Phoenicians up north. He even welcomed in tax collectors who were Roman colluders. 
who would have been on Barabbas' hit list. And he welcomed them all as he's trying to create this new kind of kingdom and this new kind of community that wasn't just one nation and one people, but was all of God's people. And Jesus wasn't a fan of Rome. Uh, that wasn't his position. And he didn't run around telling people, just put up with it and take it. You know, he would say, when they come and take, tell you to carry the pack, what do you do? You take it twice as long. So you deny them the chance to watch you squirm, and instead you go farther and make them look like the wuss. That's what you do with the pack. Or when they come up and they slap you on the face, what do you do? You turn and give them the other cheek. Well, you give them the other cheek, they could slap you again, but they'll get a mouthful of teeth. And yeah, it'll hurt, but you're not really putting up with it, but you're not giving him the pleasure of fighting. You resist, you defy, you stand up, but you don't go around killing. But Jesus' way, Jesus' way does not offer you that, that satisfaction of seeing the enemy suffer. It denies you the satisfaction of watching the Roman bodies pile up. I think that's why they picked Barabbas. Because Barabbas might have been a dirty, rotten scoundrel, and he might have been a crook, and he might have been a killer, but the people would say, at least Barabbas is trying to do something for us. At least Barabbas is standing up for us. At least he's willing to fight. He's not letting the Romans humiliate us. Barabbas offered the people pride, satisfaction of revenge, the joy of retaliation when you feel humiliated. Jesus offered a way of nonviolent resistance, love of enemies, forgiveness, inclusion of outsiders in a new community, including the sinners and the tax collectors. And that kind of stuff has a hard time competing with the anger and the rage that builds and builds until you're just so mad you can't take it anymore and you don't care about the consequences and you just lash out. Now, you know it might not solve the problem, but it protects you and your pride. And it gives you at least a few moments of satisfaction watching that Roman drop to the ground with the knife in his back. We all like to think, you know, that we would be the ones in that crowd who would chant for Jesus. And, you know, you'd come up and ask, we'd say, of course, of course, I would love to follow a path of inclusion and forgiveness. Of course I would do that rather than chant for, you know, the terrorist. But history is full of people including Christians, lashing out in anger, excluding, putting up walls, fighting, and finding an infinite number of ways to justify the path of Barabbas over the path of Jesus. Because giving up your pride, giving up that need to settle the score, that need to win, that need to show them, that need to fight back, that's hard to give up. I, I'd say that's maybe one of the hardest of Jesus' commandments. Dying for a cause is a lot easier than giving up your pride. I, I, I will make a confession. 
Uh, I think confession is good for the soul. I teach it. I'll make a confession. I watch Dr. Phil sometimes. It's, it's kind of a guilty pleasure. Uh, I don't have to, doesn't make me think as much as all my nerdy podcasts I listen to. I know sometimes it gets very formulaic. I feel like I could make a Dr. Phil bingo card, you know. Origins Treatment Center, Dr. Sophie. You can't fix what you can't acknowledge. I'm just a country boy from Texas. My dad always used to say, right, you can kind of go through and stockpile all the cliches. Um, I don't know how many years he's been doing this, but it is kind of funny, sad funny, to watch people go on stage after all these years of him basically following the exact same formula, teaching the exact same thing, and they get on there and they somehow think with them he's going to change it up. And these families, he'll, he'll get these families on there and they'll be bickering and fighting over something. And what he'll do is he'll put them on opposite sides and then he'll give them a chance to talk and inevitably it boils into an argument. It starts out with, you know, well, this happened. Oh, no, no, you're wrong, but you did this. No, no, but you did this, but you did this, but you did this. And then next thing you know, they're trying to uh, claim, you know, they've got this scorecard that they've kept in their mind. On June 13th, 17th, you know, on June 13th at, at, at 5.30, you took the car and you didn't give the keys and you didn't put the gas in, but you said you put the gas in. You're a liar. No, 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 but you, and then they, they do this. They've got these scorecards and Dr. Phil kind of lets them argue and fight it out a little bit. And then eventually he'll stop them. And then he'll hit them with a slogan, right? And the slogan is, and I'll admit I like this slogan, he'll look at him and he'll say, okay, do you want to be right or do you want to get better? Do, do, or, or, or he'll sometimes say, do you want to get even or do you want to get better? Do you want to be right or do you want to fix the problem? All these different versions of it. Because there's a world of difference between getting even and getting better. The reason they're rattling up all these grievances that they've been so meticulously keeping score of, you did this, you did this, you did this, and, and, in, and in the net they feel like they're aggrieved and they're hoping, they're hoping and praying that Dr. Phil's going to see how, many how aggrieved they are and take their side and lecture the other person and they'll win. Kind of use him like a billy club, like he has never seen this tactic before. And the people who are doing it, you know, they're, they're basically trying to show, look, look how wronged I've been. And I need to get that score even. And maybe Dr. Phil will be the one that will even it out. And it's a good question. Do you want to get even or do you want to get better? The people in that crowd have two choices. They have Jesus and they have Barabbas. And one is offering the chance to get even, and one is offering a way to get better. Jesus' way will involve a lot of sitting back, letting go of grievances and scorecards, and a lot of opening ourselves up to living with others. On the other, on the other hand, you've got somebody who's offering payback. And that's the hard part about what Jesus says, because if you follow Jesus' way and your, your goal is healing, it means you're deliberately giving up the chance to get the score right so that you can bring new people in, together into your life. And to do that, of course, that brings change. I, I'll make another confession today. 
I, I've lately been hooked on another TV show. COVID's given me a lot more time to watch TV, right? You sit at home, you eat too much, you watch more TV, you eat too much. All right, there's another show somebody got me hooked on called Married at First Sight. I'd never heard, I didn't even know the show existed until like just a few months ago. Now I'm hooked on it. If you haven't seen it, the premise of it is these people, single people apply, and the show uh, sets them up and actually, actually legally, they actually legally get married. Uh, and they've never seen the other person until that moment. It, you know, it's kind of what used to be done in lots, in lots of places uh, and still is in a lot of the world. That's kind of how it works. But the three people setting them up aren't the families. Uh, it's a pastor, a social worker, and a sex therapist. And the idea is they try to match people up who they think will work. And uh, they usually get about five couples an episode. And, and I shake my head uh, a lot of the times at who they pick. Um, and there's lots of times I want to jump through the screen because I feel like, what are you doing? I feel like this is a train wreck waiting to happen. And sometimes I'm completely wrong. Sometimes the couples that work, I would not have guessed. I'm, I'm running about 50% in my prediction. So I, I guess it's a good thing I'm not the pastor setting people up. But they, have a, they, they, they do lean a lot towards the opposites attract kind of philosophy of, of, of compatibility and differences. There's one they did this season. They, they picked this one couple. The guy's a total nerd. Um, and I mean nerd, and I say this as uh, a, an actual dungeon master myself. This guy's a nerd. Uh, he, he's got a whole like, basement full of uh, like, computers, and he plays video games, and he uh, wears 80s clothes and listens to 80s disco, and uh, he even wears in public, wait for it, a fanny pack. And the guy's ripped. He's not a skinny nerd. He lifts like three hours a day. He could like spin me on his thing. So, so, and, and, and he walks around with these, you know, retro t-shirts and a fanny pack and, uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, and he, he, like his dog likes the beach. So he went and bought a whole bunch of sand and filled his whole backyard with sand. He's in Georgia. They have to go places to get sand, right? And uh, uh, who did they set him up with? This prim proper, you know, of course, very good-looking uh, young woman um, who's been single for seven years because she's just so picky nobody can quite meet her standards. And I'm like, you put those two together? You know, um, again, they're real into this opposites attract bit. So, well, one weekend they're already having problems. I'm shocked. And, and she's just not sure she's clicking with him. And you can tell by her body language She's kind of standoffish and uh, 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 almost like she's embarrassed by him or not certain to be around him. Like, you know, I feel like I'm watching, you know, that, that, that scene in, um, uh, what was it, uh, Napoleon Dynamite where the popular girl's parents make, it, make her go to the dance with the nerdy guy. She just doesn't like it and doesn't know what to do and is almost ashamed to be around him. And, and now suddenly this popular girl's been married to this weapons-grade nerd and she's looking at her whole future and doesn't know what in the world to think about this. And am I actually going to go out in public with my hot girlfriends with a guy who wears a fanny pack? And so they're sitting down at counseling, and the pastor comes in, and he's talking to him, and he does lots of marriage counseling. He's a 
uh, really impressive with what he does. I think he's really good. And he looks at them both, and he kind of hears them out, and he goes, you know, look, these things like how much neon you put in your house, those are things you can find happy mediums on. But what you need to do is allow yourself to be transformed by the other person. You have to allow the marriage to change you. Now, he didn't say give up who you are, but he said stop worrying about being sort of tainted or affected by the other person. Take down some of those walls and learn some new things. Experience some new things with this person. You know, play a game and run in the sand in the backyard. You know, and dude, maybe cut the 80s back a little bit. I think he did tell him that. Because that's what relationships do. They change us. Right? They change us. Whenever we open ourselves up to others, we're opening ourselves up to being changed by them. And it happens when, as individuals, it happens as us when we're a group. That's what happens when you open yourselves up to others. When you're vulnerable, when you listen, when you really listen and you're really open to what the other person says, it could change you. And when you start talking about bringing healing and bringing unity and making this new kingdom that isn't based on competition and walls and conquering over, but is based on bringing people together, yes, the reality is you bring everybody together in unity and it will change you. It doesn't mean you dissolve and lose yourself. But community does that. Relationships does that. And that's a good thing. Jesus included lots of people in his kingdom of God. He was big on including people, and it did make his kingdom different. But if you're angry and you're defensive and you feel like the things that matter to you are under threat and that those people are taking them away from you, then the last thing you want to do is take down that wall because that will bring change and the cha a change that you are afraid of and don't want. You want walls and fighting and scorekeeping. You count who has what and how much and who's winning and who's losing. And if that scorecard isn't even, you're mad. It's not a happy way to live, I wouldn't think. But the way you live that way is then the way you respond is you fight back and you block and you keep out. Jesus' way, this kingdom of God thing that he was promoting, it was a vision that was a little too, I think, inclusive and forgiving for Barabbas. In order to build this kingdom, we would be giving up grievances against Phoenicians and Romans and Samaritans, and we would have to give up our pride. And there's no honor and pride in Jesus. There's just love. And in love, there is no getting even or getting back or showing them. You go and you heal the Roman's daughter who's sick. You give water to the Samaritan. You give food to the child of the Phoenician. You bring the tax collector with you as a disciple and you go to his house and party with his friends, even though you know they're colluders. You build this community of inclusion and love and giving and forgiving as a way to move forward, to get better. That's what Jesus offered. And to the crowd that was standing there, that was not acceptable. And you could just hear him saying, you know, I may die, I may get punished, but at least I have my pride and I stuck up for myself. 
I may suffer horribly, but I suffered with my honor. I don't want to get better. I want to get even. Give me Barabbas. Meanwhile, Jesus is standing there and he's utterly humiliated and he's beaten up and he's falsely accused and falsely convicted and had his reputation tarnished. I mean, if there was ever anybody who got the short end of the stick, it was Jesus. It was him. But instead, he asks for forgiveness for his killers and redemption for the mob. And he never gave up on the kingdom where we build a new world by giving up pride and the scorecard. I think we all know that the way to, of Barabbas is very tempting. I know it's tempting. I felt that temptation. You know, we've all wanted to get even. We've all wanted to fight that good fight. We've all decided at some point to build up that wall instead of opening up and being transformed. But as much as the spirit of Barabbas pulls at my heart, I know that the Spirit of God is more powerful, and it draws me to Jesus. Amen.